And I'm going to invite you to please get your Bible out and make your way to the last chapter with me, to the Gospel of John. Will you make your way to John chapter 21? John chapter 21, and we're going to begin tonight by reading the last two verses in that chapter. John 21, beginning with verse number 24. In verse 24, the Bible says this, This is the disciple, and here John, the apostle, is referring to himself. And he's saying this is the the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. I want to ask you to ponder on those verses for just a moment or two. As you do that, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Sean Jeffries, and I am a Texas boy. I'm actually an East Texas boy. My grandparents, from the time I was a little baby, raised me in Nacogdoches, Texas. That's the oldest town in Texas. And my wife, Janicia, she's an East Texas girl. We've been married for almost 20 years, and she was born and raised in Lufkin, Texas. We also have two children. We have a son named Sean Michael. He is 12, and he'll be 13 in a few weeks. And we also have a little daughter named Faith. Faith is six, but it seems like she's going on about 26. She's six going on 26, but even though she thinks she's about to be 26, you know what she still loves to do? She still loves to hear stories. She loves to hear stories. She especially loves to hear bedtime stories. Almost every night before she goes to bed, Faith Faith either wants me or her mother to read her a bedtime story. She either wants to hear the Polar Express for the 10,000th time or the Gingerbread Man or Green Eggs and Ham or Llama Llama Red Pajama. Faith loves She loves to hear stories. And when I think back to the time when I was about her age, you know what? I was just like her. I was just like Faith. I also love. I love to hear stories. I love to hear stories about three pigs and a big bad wolf. And I love to hear stories about Goldilocks and those three bears. And I love to hear about the cat in the hat and Jack and his beanstalk. And I especially love to hear about Christopher Robin and his friends in a hundred acre woods. I loved, I loved to hear stories growing up. And maybe you did as well, but I'm going to tell you something. Out of all of the stories we could ever hear in our lives, none are more important than this story right here. None are more important than this story that John is making reference to at the end of his gospel in the story that is found all throughout the Bible. None are more important than the story of how God has worked through the ages to save us from our sins through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the story of Jesus the Christ is the most precious and impactful story we could ever hear, not only because it is true, not only because it is real, not only because it is historical and something that really happened, but also because it is about the most important person in human history. It is about someone who came into the world 2,000 years ago 
and he changed the world forever. It is about someone who has molded and shaped us if we are Christians, and it's responsible for us being here tonight on a Friday evening. You see, the story of Jesus is the most important story in the history of the world because it's about Jesus, but not only is it about Jesus, it's also about you. It's also about me. It's also about every single person in the world. You see, the story of Jesus is the most precious and important story you could ever know in your life because it's so relevant to your life. It, it, it is so connected to your life. It answers so many important questions that you need to know about your life. For example, by rehearsing the precious and historical and true story of Jesus the Christ, one of the questions that is answered is the question of our identity. The question of our identity, the question of who you are, how did you get here? Who is responsible for your existence? Are you still in the Gospel of John? Please now go to John chapter 1. We just read the last two verses in the Gospel of John. Well, let's now read the first few verses in this gospel. When you go to John 1, I'm going to John chapter 1, and as you turn there, I want to emphasize to you that this story we're talking about this weekend, this is not some made-up story like Goldilocks and the, and the Three Bears or the story of the Polar Express or Llama Llama Red Pajama. No, this is a real story. This is something that really happened. We're talking about a real person who did important things. And so this story is made reference to here in the Gospel of John. And listen to what John says about it. In John chapter 1 and beginning in verse 1, John says, In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now drop down to verse 14 in case you're wondering who this person is, who is the word. In verse 14, the apostle says, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. Notice how as John describes and talks about the precious story of Jesus, he tells us of that story. That story begins in the beginning. It begins in the beginning. It begins in Genesis. It begins all the way back in the beginning with Jesus being with God and with him being God and with him as God creating all things. The Apostle Paul, he makes reference to this in Colossians. Will you go to Colossians chapter 1, please? I'm going to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, and I'm looking at verse 15, please. In Colossians 1 and verse number 15, the scripture says this. He, and here Paul is talking about Jesus, and he says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The idea of him being the firstborn of all creation doesn't mean that Jesus was the first person created by God. Jesus was not created. He is God. He's everlasting to everlasting but this idea of firstborn here is talking about power, authority, 
preeminence. Jesus has authority and power and preeminence over all created things. Why? Verse 16. Verse 16. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Notice how, like John does, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, Paul here is emphasizing how Jesus created all things. He created all things. He created all things both spiritually and physically. He is responsible for everything you see in your life. He is responsible for the sun, the moon, the stars, the plants, the trees, all the various galaxies and the various planets. He's responsible for the elephants and the giraffes and the lion and the tiger and the bears and those ugly armadillos and those disgusting skunks that people hit with their cars here in Texas. He's also responsible for you. He made you. He created you. You are the product of his handiwork and his creative power. You know what that means? That means that unlike the atheist wants you to believe, you're not some accident. You're not some grand cosmic accident. You didn't get here by chance or by accident. You're not responsible for your own existence. Instead, Jesus, Jesus is responsible for your existence. Jesus is the one who made you, and Jesus, you need to understand, he intentionally made you. He made you on purpose. There are a couple of practical things that we need to point out about this vital truth. First, because Jesus made you on purpose, you know what that means? That means that you don't need to walk around in your life confused about who you are. You don't need to walk around in your life confused about your identity. You don't need to waste numerous years of your, of your youth, numerous years of your, of your young days trying to figure out who you are at the most basic and fundamental level. You don't have to do that because the Bible tells you who you are. The Bible tells you who you are at the most basic and fundamental level. The Bible tells you that Jesus made you. He made you on purpose. And listen carefully, young people. He made you exactly the way you're supposed to be. He made you male or female. He made you white or black or Asian or Hispanic or Indian. He made you short or tall or with blue eyes, green eyes, hazel eyes, brown eyes. Jesus made you exactly the way you're supposed to be. In fact, not only did he make you and make me and make us all, but when we study his story, we learn that he made us special. He made you special. He made you unique. He made you in his image, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. You see, being made in his image or being made in the image of God means that you're unlike anything else God has made. It means, young people, that you are a special creation of God. You are the crowning jewel of God's creative work because you're able to do some things that other things God has made us not or not able to do. You see, unlike the sun, 
and the moon and the stars and your pet dog and your pet cat as a human being made in the image of God, you can make moral choices. You can make moral choices. You can choose what you want to do. You can choose what you want to be, who you want to marry one day, what you want to do with your life, what you want to wear, how you're going to treat people. You can even choose whether or not you're going to serve God. While God could force you to serve him, he doesn't do that. He made you his image. You can choose. You have the ability to choose what you're going to do in your life. That's what being made in the image of God involves, but it doesn't just involve that. It doesn't just involve being able to choose. It also involves being able to think. Being able to think critically. Being able to reason. Being able to possess morality within you. It especially involves you having a soul. You have a soul. Unlike your pet dog or your pet goldfish or whatever else you may have, you got a soul inside your body. You have an identity within you. There is something within you that will live on forever, even after you die. You see, the story of Jesus is a critical story because it tells us the truth about ourselves. It tells us the truth about our identity. It tells us exactly who we are and who's responsible for our existence, and maybe, just maybe, if more people knew this story, they wouldn't be so confused about that today. The story of Jesus tells us the truth about our identity. But it doesn't just tell us the truth about our identity. Secondly, it also tells us the truth about God's identity. God's identity. Are you still in Colossians? Look at chapter 1 and verse 15 again, please. That first part there. Colossians 1 and verse 15 says, and this is talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Let's put that with what John told us in John chapter 1. I'm going back to John chapter 1, please. Look at verse 18. John chapter 1, and we'll look at verse number 18. And there John says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him or he has revealed him. Notice how in these verses, in both of these passages, we see, we see that Jesus reveals God. Jesus reveals God. Jesus reveals God the Father. Jesus reveals exactly who God the Father is and what he's all about and how we should respond to him in our lives. You see, when we study the story of Jesus, we learn the truth about God. We learn wonderful and powerful things about God. When we rehearse his story together, we learn that God is powerful. God is powerful. God has the power to walk on water. God has the power to control the weather. God has the power to cast evil spirits and evil workers of Satan out of people. God has the power to give sight to the blind and restore severed limbs. And he even has the power to raise the dead. The story of Jesus shows us that God has amazing and unlimited power. And it also shows us 
that God is eternal, that God is the I am, that God is from everlasting to everlasting, and he's also compassionate, and he's merciful, and he's gracious, and he considers the poor and the young and the hurting and the weak and the infected and the outcast in society. He even considers you, no matter what you're going through. When you study Jesus, you learn that God cares about you. He cares about you immensely. The story of Jesus also shows us that God is just, that God is holy, that God takes no pleasure in sin. God hates sin because he's righteous and he's perfect and he's able to do things like even see into the hearts of men. God can see into our hearts. God knows what we're thinking. God knows if we're real and if we're genuine and if we're authentic followers or if we're religious hypocrites, pretenders, actors. Jesus knows those things just like he knew them about the religious leaders who were corrupt and hypocrites in his day. Jesus knows the truth about us. And consider this, consider how when you study Jesus, you learn that God is not some bad guy in the sky hoping you fail in your life. He's not someone waiting behind the bushes to pop out and say, oh, you just messed up. I got you. I'm ready to send you to hell. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, when you study Jesus, is a God who is good. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a God of authority. He's a God who has authority, not just over the demons and over sickness, and over weather, and even over death, but God has authority over you. He has authority over me. He has the inherent right, because he made us, to tell us exactly what to do, and exactly how to live our lives, and we are obligated to do exactly what he says. That's what we learn when we study the story of Jesus. You see, my friends, if you really want to know God, and I believe you want to know God, otherwise you wouldn't be here on a Friday night. And if that's what you really want, if you really want to know God, if you really want to see God, if you really want to understand God and be close to God and honor God and develop and maintain a relationship with him, then you must know Jesus. You must see Jesus. You must understand who Jesus is and what he did and what he is all about. You got to know his power. You got to know his love. You got to know his teachings. You got to know the path that he walked in life. That's how you know the truth about God. The story of Jesus answers the question of who are you and who is God? But let me add to that that this precious story also answers the question of how does God feel about me? I mean, God is powerful. He has authority. He's over me. But how does God feel about me? How does God feel about me in my life right here and right now? I told you a few minutes ago that I have children. My wife and I have two children. And I love my children immensely. Like every parent. You got a lot of parents here. A lot of grandparents here. God bless you. And like you, I love my children. I love them immensely. I was there the day they were born. I was the first one to hold them. I was the first one to kiss them. I was there to welcome them into this world. 
I've never missed a ball game, never missed a, a concert, an award ceremony. I've tried to the best of my ability to be a good father. And I love my kids. And I want you to understand something. Listen carefully. And I don't mean to be ugly and unkind when I say this. But if your salvation depended, if your salvation depended on me allowing my kids to suffer, to be mocked, to be spit on, to be beaten, and have nails put in their hands and in their feet, and they suffer to the very last breath, if your salvation depended on me allowing my kids to go through that, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in a lot of trouble. You're going to be lost. Because I'm not, as a father, willing to allow my kids to go through any of that stuff, but God, as the heavenly father, as the perfect father, he was willing to do that for us. God, as the perfect father, was willing to give his son, who was perfect, he was, a willing, to, he was willing to allow his son to leave the glories of heaven to come into this garbage dump we call earth and live a perfect life, a sinless life, and be rejected, mocked, betrayed, suffer, and die on a cross. God was willing to allow his son to go through those things because of one reason. He loves us. He loves me. He loves you that much. And we learned that in John 3.16. John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world. Let's highlight that word world. World. Everybody in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Everybody in this beautiful state of Texas. Everybody around the country. Europe. Around the globe. Europe. Africa, Australia, Asia, Antarctica. God loves everybody in the world. And he loves everybody in the world so much, the scripture says, that he gave something. He demonstrated that love. How? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Look, I realize the audience I'm speaking to tonight. I realize the audience I'm talking to. I realize that for the vast majority of people in this room, you know this verse. You know it. You can quote it just like that. You've studied it a long time. You know it and you know it very well, but please don't let your familiarity with this verse rob the verse of its power it's supposed to have in your life. Please don't let the fact that you know this verse so well allow you to water it down and water down the impact that this verse God wants to have on your life. Notice how Jesus said, Jesus says that when it comes to God and how he feels about you, he doesn't just like you. He doesn't just care about you a little bit. He doesn't just think you're, you know, you're kind of okay. No, the scripture says God loves you. God loves you immensely. In fact, he loves you so much that he gave you something. He gave you Jesus. He gave you his son. He gave you his son to satisfy and provide for your greatest need. Let me ask you a question. What's your greatest need? What's your greatest need? You know, contrary to what you may hear from culture and society, your greatest need is not, is not to make good grades. It's not to make straight A's. It's not to excel in a sport. 
It's not to be the best basketball player and best football player and best soccer player that you can be. It's not to play an instrument very well or be popular with your friends or get into the best college and, and graduate from college and one day get that nice high-paying job and that big house and that nice car. While there's nothing wrong with you acquiring those things and achieving those things, none of those things are your greatest need. You see, your greatest need in life is not to make good grades and do well in a sport and be popular. No, your greatest need in life is to be saved from your sins. It's to avoid the wrath of God. It is to avoid spiritually perishing in the horrors of hell. You see, the story of Jesus is about how God used Jesus to satisfy our greatest need to take care of our greatest problem. It is a story about God's deep love for every single person, every single person in the world. God loves every single person so much that he gave his son. Through Jesus dying on the cross, we don't have to receive something that we rightly deserve. You're familiar with Romans 3.23. You're familiar with that. Romans 3.23, the wages well, that's Romans 6.23, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. One of the things we all have in common, those of us who have the ability to make choices, those of us who have the ability to know right from wrong, we call that an age of accountability. One of the things we all have in common, despite our many differences, is we're sinners, Right? We're sinners. We've all violated the law of a holy God. No matter our different races, cultural backgrounds, economic statuses, we're all sinners. And then when you go to Romans 6.23, we learn what we deserve because of that, don't we? We learn the wages, a wage is something you earn. The wages of sin is death. Now, when Paul talks about death there, he's not talking about physical death. You know, innocent children experience that sometimes in this life. No, there Paul's talking about spiritual death, eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve because we've sinned against God. And so that is bad news. That's the worst news we could ever hear. But thankfully, Paul, between those chapters, gives us some good news. And so what's the good news? Well, look at Romans 5, please. Will you look at Romans chapter 5? I'm going to Romans chapter 5, and I appreciate you listening so well. Romans chapter 5, look at verse number 6, please. In Romans 5 and verse number 6, the Bible says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more have been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So what I want you to see there is I want you to see all of the blessings that are available to us tonight because of what Jesus did at the cross. Notice how Paul says that because of what Jesus did, because of what he did at Calvary, we have the opportunity tonight, even though we're all sinners, to receive something called justification. 
the word justification. That's a legal term. That means we can be declared not guilty. Even though we are guilty because of Jesus and what he did, we can stand before God cleansed, forgiven, declared not guilty. We can also, Paul says, avoid the wrath of God. We can avoid the judgment of God, and we can be reconciled, brought back into a relationship with God, and we can be saved, spiritually saved through the life of Jesus. That's what is available to us tonight because of what Jesus did. And you know what that means, young people? That means, and listen carefully, no one loves you in your life like God does. Your mama loves you. Your daddy loves you. Your grandparents love you. But they don't love you like God loves you. They don't love you like Jesus loves you. The Bible says God loves you so much that he paid the highest price to save you from your sins. He paid the highest price for you to receive forgiveness and be brought into a relationship with him. You know what that means? That means that as you live your life every single day, as you go to school, as you hang out with your friends, as you play a sport, whatever you do in your life, one thing you should never do is you should never walk around questioning God's love for you. You should never walk around saying, well, I just wonder if God loves me. I wonder if, how God feels about me. You should avoid at all costs grumbling and complaining about things in your life or complaining because something in your life isn't working out in the way you desire. The giving of Jesus at the cross proved once and for all that God loves you more than you'll ever know. God loves you immensely. He loves you so much he gave you Jesus. The story of Jesus, the precious story of Jesus, tells us the truth about ourselves and about God and about how God feels about us. But let's even get more practical and point this out. This precious story also answers the question of, what should I be doing? How should I live? I know God loves me. I know God made me. I know God has provided Jesus to save me, but how should I respond to that? How should I live my life every single day? And so I'm going to John's gospel again. Notice we're going a lot to the gospel of John tonight, and so we're going back to John 8. John is such a wonderful gospel, and it says in verse 31, please, John 8, 31, the scripture says, and this is Jesus speaking to some Jews who believed in him. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So a couple of things we want to point out about these passages. First, notice how contrary to what you may be hearing from people in our culture, people in our society, the so-called educated folks. Jesus says there is such a thing as truth. Jesus says truth is real. Truth does exist. Truth comes from him. Truth is what he has determined, and he also says we can know it. We can know the truth, but it's not just enough for us to know the truth. Jesus also says we got to do the truth. We got to live it. We got to continue in it if we're really going to be his disciples. I like how the Lord also put this in Matthew 7, please. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this in verse 24, Matthew 7, 24. As Jesus concludes this powerful sermon, therefore, everyone who hears 
These words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. So notice how when it comes to our lives and what we should be doing every day, Jesus says we should be doing two things. We should be hearing his words. Hearing his words. We hear his words through the Bible. We hear his words through the gospel. But after we hear his words, then we got to do it. We got to apply it. We got to live his teachings. Jesus says that the person who both hears and does what he says is a wise person. That's a person who has a solid foundation in life. That is a person who is living out their true purpose and fulfilling their, their true purpose in life because they are serving God and nurturing a relationship with him. In fact, it is through the story of Jesus that we learn exactly what we should do. You see, you live in a world today. We live in a world today where, where the world is telling us to do so many different things and the standard of culture, it changes all the time. It changes like the wind. When you study Jesus, you learn exactly what you should do, how you should live your life. For example, in this sermon here, this great sermon, Matthew 5 through 7, that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that if you're going to follow him, a life that abides in him, and abides in his teaching, that is a life that prioritizes God above anything else. See, right now, if your life is all about academics, sports, hanging out with friends, if, the, if that's the main stuff in your life, then your life's out of balance. It's out of balance. And Jesus said that a life that pleases God is one that puts God first. God is, is the center. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You also have a heart that is guarded. You have a heart that is guarded against lust. Against hatred. Against bitterness. Against hypocrisy. You have a heart that is forgiving. And a heart that strives to be faithful to the promises and the commitments you make to other people. And a heart that avoids seeking approval from people above seeking approval from God. And it also means you have a heart that divorces from itself selfishness and pride and ego and constant grumbling and complaining about everything that's wrong with your life, and you clothe yourself with humility. You clothe yourself with thankfulness, contentment, thankfulness for everything God has done for you in your life, and you invest yourself in helping other people, trying to accommodate and attend to the needs of others even before your own needs. That's what studying Jesus helps you understand. And you know what else the story of Jesus teaches us about how we should live? We should treat people right. Have you noticed we live in a mean world? If you don't believe me, get on social media tonight. We learn that every day on social media, don't we? And if you're not on social media, you're not missing anything. Stay off. But we live in a world where so many people are so ugly, so rude, so mean, 
But Jesus teaches us we ought to treat other people like we want to be treated. We got to treat people right. If you're married, we got to treat our spouse right. We got to treat our brethren right. We got to treat our parents right. Our boss, our co-workers, our teachers, our friends, our coaches. Jesus says that a true disciple strives to treat people in the way they want to be treated. And they are also honest people. And they work hard for everything they have. And they strive to be sexually pure and they stay away from drugs and alcohol and they strive to live a righteous example every single day in front of other people. You see, in addition to telling us who the Lord is and what he's all about and what he did for us at Calvary, this story we're talking about this weekend, it has been given in the Bible and preserved for us so it can change us. So it can mold us, so it can shape us, so it can make us stronger in the Lord. If at the end of this weekend, all you've done is accumulate a bunch of facts and get a lot of information, this weekend really hasn't helped you. It's not enough just to know the story and be able to recite the story. We got to live it. We got to put it in our life. And that's what we learn from Jesus. But there's one more question I want us to consider. and We're going to close. And that's this question right here. How do I get to heaven? How do I get to heaven? You want to go to heaven? I know you want to go. You want to go. Again, you wouldn't be here on a Friday night if you didn't. And so how do we get there? Look at John 14. It's the last place I'm going to take you tonight. John 14, verse 1. This is Jesus not long before he'd be betrayed and arrested in Gethsemane and he would eventually soon be crucified on a cross. And it says in John 14 and verse 1, Jesus said to his apostles, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, my father's house, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. A couple of observations. First, we see here very clearly that when it comes to heaven, heaven is a real place. It's not a made-up place. It's not a made-up place like Never Never Land where Peter Pan lives or something you saw in Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or in a Marvel movie. No, Jesus says heaven is a real place and heaven is where God is. Heaven is where God lives. Heaven is where God lives in his perfect glory, in his perfect presence. And Jesus says we can actually go there. Can you believe that? We can actually go to heaven. We can actually live with God in his house but the only way that's going to be possible is we got to follow Jesus. We got to love Jesus. We got to understand that as sinful people, we have no shot of getting to heaven on our own, but we need Jesus. And Jesus says that in verse 6. When Jesus says, I am the way, the implication of that is he's the only way. He's the only way to heaven. Mohammed is not going to get you to heaven. Buddha, Confucius, whoever you want to say, anyone outside of Jesus is not going to get you to heaven. 
Jesus says that if we're going to make it to heaven at all, it's going to be through him and only through him. He is the way and he's the, he's the truth. That is, he's the source of truth. He's the one who reveals truth. Truth springs from him and he's the life that he is through him, through following him, you get access to real life, abundant life, spiritual life. Jesus says he's the way, he is the truth, and he's the life. If you want to go to heaven, following him will get you there. And that alone makes this weekend worthy of our time, right? That alone makes this story, the precious story of Jesus, one that not only do I need to know, and that you need to know, but everybody needs to know this story. I mean, as long as sin and death remain in this world, the story of salvation found in Jesus, it will need to be proclaimed. It will need to be preached. It will need to be rehearsed, studied, and immersed deeply in our hearts. We are privileged this weekend to study about Jesus. And I want you to know this. I feel very humbled and honored and so appreciative of you allowing me to share this weekend with you. I'm thankful to your shepherds. I'm so thankful to the wonderful men who lead this church. I have been an admirer of this congregation for a long time from afar, and I just feel so humble to be part of this weekend. Thank you so much. I don't deserve to be here, and I appreciate it. I'm thankful to your shepherds. I'm thankful to all of those who are going to be teaching classes this weekend. I'm thankful to all of those, those behind the scenes and you're decorating things and you're copying things and you're just doing things behind the scenes to help make this weekend a success. And I'm especially thankful for these young people. And I'm thankful for the parents. And I'm thankful for all the grandparents and the great-grandparents. Thank you so much for your love for God and your interest. And this very important topic, there's nothing more important we could do with our time than study the precious story of Jesus. And maybe there's someone here tonight and you need to come to Jesus. Maybe there's someone here tonight and you say, I am a sinner. And I have yet to get my life right with God. I need to come to the one who's the way, the truth and the life. I want you to know that if that is your desire. We can help you with that tonight. God is in heaven wanting you to respond. The angels are ready to throw a party, which you must believe in the Lord and repent of your sins and obey the Lord's commandment to be baptized, baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. If there's anyone here tonight who needs to respond to the precious story of Jesus, we invite you right here and right now. Let's stand, let's sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.